Meteorological summer is very well here. We're getting in the midst of it. Named storms coming up from the Atlantic Ocean into our area, Gulf of Mexico. We're going to be following them all the way through November. But that said, some people are not uh, as set for a big storm as they probably should be. To talk about the uh, the issue about preparedness for a big storm, I bring on Thomas Teig, the Direct uh, Relief President and CEO. Thomas, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Nate. Thanks for having me. Tell me about uh, yourself and your organization, just so we know who you guys are. Well, Direct Relief is a uh, privately funded humanitarian nonprofit organization been around 75 years focuses on health humanitarian health um, support in all 50 states and in about 100 countries around the world each year so we focus on providing essential medications and increasingly helping with small-scale infrastructure projects related to health in and around emergencies so here in North Carolina, we don't super often get nailed by a hurricane, especially over here in Raleigh, but we do certainly get lots of remnants of hurricanes, which brings plenty of wind, lots of rain, flash flooding, all that. Just how prepared is the average person every time we get to hurricane season? Well, you know, it's a hard, it's a great question. I think it varies greatly. I think you know people have different risks depending on where they live and their, their personal circumstances. But um, I think for some perspective, I think there's really three factors um, that relate to whether a natural event is a, is a disaster or not. And it's really the built environment, the natural environment, and demographics. So a big earthquake or hurricane in the middle of the ocean or earthquake in the desert is a huge natural event that's not a disaster, but that same um, event relocated to an earthquake in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, is a massive calamity. Um, a big storm over New Orleans, like uh, Katrina was, with substandard housing and below sea level, and a lot of people who didn't have um, the mobility to get out, is a major humanitarian crisis. So I think at the personal level, it's worth assessing. You know, we can all assess, well, how ready are we? Are, there, are we dependent, anyone in our household, on a electronically powered medical device, and there's a lot of them. It can be as many as one in three people in this country in their household have someone who relies on something that's electronically powered to maintain their health from a infusion pump to a ventilator to an oxygen concentrator. And a lot of people who, you know, are uh, diabetic and dependent on insulin that must be refrigerated. So if you go down that mental checklist and think, gosh, well, what would happen? It's a, the best thing that one can do and just at least be aware and simple steps, just like making sure from a medication perspective, which we often see, that you just know what it is your medications are and in what formulations and strengths and who the prescribing physician was and make sure that's written down on a piece of paper tucked somewhere safely. We see that a lot, in particularly in the U.S., Nate, because there's a lot of chronic disease and people manage it reasonably well, but in these mass evacuations that, that do occur, and I was in one in North Carolina years ago uh, from the Outer Banks, which was it was a, a long day trying to get off the Outer Banks. Um, but when people get dislocated, what's a managed chronic condition become can become an acute crisis if you don't have your insulin, if you don't have your inhaler, if you're an asthmatic. Or if you have hypertension, you don't have your antihypertension 
that literally would put a lot of people in the hospitals in the emergencies, much more so than being injured in the event itself. And that was, I might happen to be in Puerto Rico today, but that was certainly the case in Hurricane Maria, where thousands of people were found to have died in retrospect, although only about 50 to 70 were found to have died in the moment from the event. But over the succeeding weeks, for those various reasons, there's a real you know, tragic increase in mortality among uh, the Puerto Rican residents. So that's what, you know, we want to anticipate and avert as best we possibly can as a private humanitarian group. It's certainly important to think about medical aspects of if you suddenly are no longer in your home, whether you have to evacuate it or your flood comes through and your home's destroyed uh, from a massive hurricane or a, a tropical storm. What are some other things, though, other than just medications that people might not necessarily always be thinking about? Because I feel like when we think of evacuating, we think get some bottled water, grab your clothes, grab your dog, and head out. What are some things people typically don't think about? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what we've seen, and this is based on a lot of um, experience around the country, why people do not um, evacuate when when asked or ordered to do it, a lot of times it's trying to arrange personal mementos that are irreplaceable. They may not be worth a lot of money or worth anything to anyone else, but to you, you cannot lose that photo album. And you mentioned pets. Another huge reason people fail to evacuate is they will not leave their pet. It's a member of their family. And so it's important to recognize that, and that's part of the evacuation plan, right? Um, but I think looking at starting with yourself and your family and your neighbors, you pretty much know who's more at higher risk if they're if they're very senior or very young or don't may not have a car because um, I mean actually financial status is a is a risk factor for a number of reasons, including the availability of money to depart. Sometimes, so I think um, you know governments. We, you know, it's, we're Americans. We like to, you know, <laughs> theater, right? And everyone has a view, and we're directly to non-political. So we're trying to stay out of all that, but just recognize things that we know and we can do as people with local organizations. That's really good to plug into. And North Carolina has a lot of terrific capacity. Directly works on an ongoing basis with. You have really. It's called NC Medicis, and it's a fine North Carolina uh, charitable pharmacy that actually sends medications directly to people's homes for free who are in need, and directly is a big supporter of NC Medicis. It's one of the finest ones in the country, and so they have a, a mechanism, a charitable mechanism to make sure that they can uh, people don't have to get their prescriptions filled at their local health center. But again, if people have to depart, you know, that's... That's a different scenario. And so all the people who rely on the charitable activities, when they get uprooted, they're just at heightened risk. So I think just knowing that, having that information makes people be a little bit more aware, and and the results are a lot better for everyone if people go into it with kind of a game plan. And we certainly see that and, and to do everything we can as a national or international organization to help strengthen the local organizations, because that's ultimately where all of this gets shaken out at the very local level, as as you know, um, in North Carolina. Speaking with Thomas Teig, he's the president and CEO of Direct Relief, a nonprofit helping people uh, in times of crisis during a hurricane, tropical storm. Uh, 
if we get into a vent this uh, hurricane season, hopefully we don't, where the Raleigh area, the Triangle area is really impacted by a major storm, how would we most likely get in contact with you all? Well, we have a lot of redundant systems, but I think, you know, we're a support organization um, that works in North Carolina with several great partners, including NC Medicis. But I think our website is directrelease.org, and it has everything about our, our organization, what we do, where we do it, um, and some tips that, you know, we've learned along the way and links to other places that could be a helpful resource. But I think the main lesson is that it's just today being an example, there's 50 million people in the United States who are under severe weather warning. I mean, that's, a, you know, and there's not all hurricanes either. It's severe heat. It's tornadoes from had a tragic one in Texas earlier today. There's a threat of one in Philadelphia right now. And these heat waves that in and of themselves present uh, serious health health risks to people with um, with with pre-existing health conditions um, or are living in a place that doesn't have access to air conditioning. That, that can be fatal. And we've seen that, um, unfortunately, in a number of places over the past decade. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show, talking about uh, staying safe during a natural disaster. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, we're actually happy people who love North Carolina and started to talk about all this gloom and doom stuff. <laughs> so thanks so much for having me.